Uh, let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So next Saturday, uh, our daughter Julia is getting uh, married in Washington, D.C., and we are all uh, very excited about it. We're heading back there on Wednesday, so I very much hope the weather improves by then. Uh, this week, though, it's had me uh, thinking about the moments in our lives that change us. It's had me thinking about the markers we put down along the way that track our lives. Um, we all know when we started. We all know our birth dates. And uh, we know what our end will be, if not when or where or how. But in between birth and death, we make choices and we mark uh, milestones in our lives. Maybe it's the college that we choose to go to. Of all the opportunities in front of us at that moment in our lives, that's a choice that sets us off in a certain direction. Or maybe it's the job we choose uh, that settles into a career that sets a trajectory. Or maybe it's the commitment we make to a partner. So next Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time in Washington, D.C., Julia is going to marry Chris Hamilton. That's a moment that will change them. That's a day they will look back to. Those vows will shape the rest of their life together. There are moments that change us. And sometimes those moments uh, are beyond our control. Sometimes things happen to us. Sometimes they're happy surprises, often uh, they're hard news. But all those choices that we've made, all those markers that we've set down are how we make meaning even of those unexpected moments. In the church, baptism is one of those moments. It's one of those markers. At baptism, we make a choice to follow Jesus. We make a choice, we make a commitment to live out our life together with others in a community. It's a vow that sets the trajectory for our lives. It's a commitment that helps us make sense of our lives. And uh, many of us here in Joining Online have perhaps been baptized. Some of us may be considering baptism. But even if you're not, even if you're not considering baptism, even if you're not sure you really believe any of this stuff about Jesus at all, it is important for all of us to be intentional, to think about where we're going and why and what we're hoping for. So this morning from Mark's Gospel, we heard this story of the baptism of Jesus. John is in the wilderness baptizing people in the River Jordan. And we're told that the whole Judean countryside and people from Jerusalem are going out to him. And I've been to that spot. I've been to the River Jordan. I've stood on the shore where it's thought Jesus was baptized by John. And even now, there are always lots of people there lined up waiting to be baptized. In Mark's telling of the story, uh, there are a lot of people out there. And Jesus gets in line. And he waits until one after another. It's his turn. It is a remarkably ordinary story. Even the dove, even the voice from heaven, only Jesus sees, only Jesus hears those things. If we were on the shore at that time, I suspect we might not have noticed this person from Nazareth in Galilee in line that day. Soon enough, though, uh, people will realize there is something extraordinary about Jesus. By the time Mark writes this gospel, he uh, and many others have come to believe that Jesus 
is like us, and Jesus is utterly unlike us. They will come to believe that Jesus was God with the human face, that he embodied the perfect love of God, that he was, uh, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, without sin. So by the time Mark gets around to writing this gospel, which is 30 or 40 years later, uh, people are kind of uneasy, actually, with this, this story of the baptism of Jesus. And you can hear it, especially in the writers of the other gospels. John, for example, uh, excuse me, um, lost my, oh, here we go, Matthew. I knew I was getting to Matthew eventually. Matthew, uh, in his gospel, has John actually trying to talk Jesus out of being baptized. He writes, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. In Luke's gospel, Luke never even says it was John who was baptizing Jesus. And in John, the gospel writer John, he writes about the spirit descending like a dove, but he doesn't mention the baptism at all. So why? Why does Jesus go out to John to be baptized? It's an interesting question. I think it's an important question because answering that question, it seems to me, can help us understand how baptism makes meaning of our lives. So I want to look more closely at this story today. I want to do a, a short Bible study. I'd like us to look briefly at four words that come uh, to us in this story. And the first of those words is sin. John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's a pretty churchy word. We don't hear it much anywhere else these days. It's a word that has a hard edge to it too, doesn't it? It has the hard edge of failure and guilt. And we all have failings. And I confess there's some things I've done in my life that I should have felt guilty about. But here's the thing. Sin is not just what I do or what you do, although it's very much that. Sin is also what we do. Sin describes the reality of the world that we live in. So Flannery O'Connor, in her novel Wise Blood, uh, puts it this way. She writes, sin is not just something we commit. It is something we are in. Sin is very personal. We can be selfish and dishonest and scheming and hurtful at times. But sin is also very public and shared and systemic. It is something that we are in. So, for example, the war in Gaza, that is a long ways off. But if you're a taxpayer in the United States, then we're funding it. We're paying for it. We are part of it. The war in Ukraine, a long ways off, but it is built on the logic of violence and it is fueled by the arms industry. Now, as much as possible, I try not to have any investments in military stocks. It is still a sin that we live in. As Nancy pointed out, tomorrow's a celebration of Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Day. The sin of white supremacy is baked into the history of this country. We don't have as many explicit racists anymore, but we still lived with the impacts of racism. Black men are disproportionately stopped and arrested and incarcerated. Black families still have proportionately less wealth than white families. White families on average have, I've seen different statistics, as much as 12 or even 16 times the wealth of black families. Sin is something we are in. Describes the reality of the world we live in. Something's not right. The world's not the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes we're not the way we're supposed to be. And so, in this story, people are going out to the Jordan to be baptized by John. 
and Jesus is right in line with them. Right there bearing the weight of the world's sin and pain and grief and greed and hatred and injustice. Right there standing in solidarity with all of us who live in this world of sin. The second word is, is repentance. John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance, which is, again, a very churchy word, and it conjures up sorrow, even shame for what we've done. And again, the things I'm sorry I did. But repentance is more active than just a motive. Repentance is the act of turning from and turning towards, the act of turning from what's hurtful and deceptive and mean-spirited and hard-hearted and inequitable and turning toward what's compassionate and kind and truthful and holy and just and loving. When Jesus enters the Jordan, it's an act of repentance, an act of turning away from the world, the way it's always worked, of turning away from the old ways, from the deathly ways, and turning toward the way of life together for which we've been created, the way of life that he will come to call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God, the beloved community. So in the Jordan, Jesus is making a choice. He's setting a trajectory for his life, for his ministry. Now what's interesting, I think it's really significant, is that immediately after the story that we heard today, Uh, The very next verse, verse 12, Jesus is driven into the wilderness where he will be tested. He will be faced by temptations, temptations of power and wealth and fame. He will be tempted to live in the world on its own terms. And we'll face temptations all through life as well. We'll face the temptations of power and wealth and fame. And it's always going to be easier to live in the world on its own terms. It's always going to be easier to follow the conventional wisdom, easier to go along, to get along. Always easier to follow the logic of violence to protect our way of life. We are always tempted to. And so the third word that's terrifically significant in this account from Mark 1 is is spirit. John says, I have baptized you with water, but the one to come will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then later, when Jesus is coming up out of the water, we're told the heavens were torn apart and the Spirit descended like a dove upon him, the Spirit of God, the Spirit that was present at the beginning, calling all of creation into existence. That Spirit descends upon Jesus. And Jesus promises that that same Spirit will be with us. He promises that the wisdom and the strength and the peace, and the courage, and the patience, and the hope of the Spirit will be with us. He promises the Spirit who makes makes it possible for us to live the kind of life that he lived, makes it possible for us to be fully and truly human. The scholastics had a saying. It's in Latin. I never studied Latin, so I'm not going to try to repeat it in Latin. But it means, basically, to be properly human you must go beyond the merely human. To be properly human, you must go beyond the merely human. I love the vision that Jesus had of the beloved community. I don't think we can get there on our own. Doing justice on our own, trying to make the world right on our own, we get tired, we get weary, we get frustrated, we get cynical. On our own, even when our intentions are right, we can end up justifying actions 
that are wrong. On our own, at least in my experience, we pretty quickly burn through the resources we need to be merciful and resilient and peaceable. But thanks be to God, we are not left on our own. Jesus promises that the Spirit will be with us. The Spirit who helps us go beyond the merely human. The Spirit to guide us and help us and sustain us. The Spirit to fuel our imaginations, to strengthen our weary souls, and expand our capacity to love, to love ourselves, to love our neighbors, maybe even our enemies. And then the fourth word in this, in this story is, is beloved. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, the voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved. Jesus is the only one to hear it. This is a profoundly personal moment. And it gives us a glimpse into the interior life of God. And the heart of God is love. It's the love of Father and Son and Spirit. It's the love that redounds among Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. It's the love that was present at the beginning. It's the love that flows through all of creation. It's the love that was embodied in Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that we are beloved of God, each of us, all of us, every one of us. We are all children of God, daughters and sons of God, beloved. You know, Marcus Borg, who was a New Testament scholar and and lived and worked, taught here in Oregon, Marcus Borg points out that that our word believe comes from a root meaning uh, beloved. Believe is to beloved. Often when we think about belief, we think about creeds and doctrines, but that's not really it at all. To believe is to beloved. And the good news is that God believes in you. Whatever our failings, uh, whatever, whatever others have told us, or whatever we think of ourselves, God believes in you, in your worth, in your value, in your future. God believes in you. God beloves you. And so the question is, can you believe in God? Can you believe in God's love? Can you open your heart and your soul and your mind to the limitless and persistent and fierce love of God? There are moments in our lives that change us. There are markers that set a trajectory that help us make sense of our lives. And maybe this is one of those moments for you. Maybe this is a moment to believe in God who believes in you. God who beloves you. Maybe this is a moment to choose to follow Jesus. Jesus who shows us, shows us what it looks like to live together in love. And if it is that moment, I'd be glad to talk more. Um, or talk to Kurt, or talk to Kristen, or talk to a friend. Maybe this is that moment. For those of us who have been baptized, um, this is a chance to remember that milestone, a chance to renew uh, the commitment that we made. Uh, At at Portland Mennonite Church in the springtime in May, we always go out to the coast for a retreat. And uh, almost every year, we baptize people in the Pacific Ocean. And as they come up out of the water, having made that commitment, we gather around them. And usually there's a fire because it gets kind of cold out there. Uh, And we renew uh, our baptismal commitments. 
And these are the words, and, and you can find them in the back of Voices Together, our hymnal. This is from uh, number 932. We pledge to bear each other's burdens, to assist in times of need, to share our gifts and possessions, to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, to support each other in times of joy and sorrow, and in all things to work for the common good, thus proclaiming the presence of Christ among us so that our lives may glorify God. For all of us, uh, whether we've been baptized or not, wherever we find ourselves, this story is a reminder uh, to let the Spirit, to let the breath of God fill us. When you're tired, when you're weary, remember to breathe and let the hope of God fill you. When you're frustrated that there is so much that's so wrong, breathe and let the dream of God fill you. When you feel hatred welling up inside, breathe and let the grace of God fill you. When fear starts to daunt you, breathe and let the courage of God fill you. And when you can't figure out what to do next, Breathe and let the wisdom of God fill you. When you awaken, when you go to sleep, breathe and let the love of God fill you. Amen.